What is going on, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast presented by Anchor. And we've got an absolutely loaded show for you today, NFL Week 3 Recap. We recap every game from the week that was in Week 3. We also pick every game in Week 4. Talk a little bit about what happened in college football this weekend, including the end of a college football dynasty. And we also got updates for the race to October in the MLB, the last week of the regular season. And there's a lot that can happen, specifically in the AL wildcard race. We'll break it all down for you in this edition of Jack of All Trades. But first, as always, this episode is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make podcast creation tools, editing tools, all from your phone or computer. So if you want to start your own podcast, go to anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app from the from the Google Play Store or the, or the App Store today. Anchor.fm, Anchor app today if you want to start your very own podcast. Today is Tuesday, September 28th. Let's go. Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 18 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. Today is Tuesday, September 28th, Week 3. We go to Arlington, where the Cowboys took on the Eagles in an NFC East showdown. However you feel about Dallas, and I hate the Cowboys, it was good to see Dak Prescott have such a triumphant return to the same field on which he suffered that horrific ankle injury last year. And it was good to see Philly's ignorance rewarded so richly, as Jalen Hurts so good through two interceptions, and the Cowboys' D led by Trevon Diggs, who had a pick six, complimented the Cowboys, though, led by Dak Prescott, C.D. Lamb, and Ezekiel Elliott, and the Cowboys roll 41-21. We go to Santa Clara, where the 49ers used both Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo to give the Packers nightmares, but they left too much time on the clock for Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks the game has ever seen. 37 seconds was too much time. He worked his late game magic. Devontae Adams notched his NFL record 10th straight Sunday night football game with a touchdown, and Green Bay held on after blowing a 17-point lead in San Fran. All is well in Titletown once again, as the Packers win 30-28. We go to Los Angeles, where Tom Brady looked to beat the Rams once again like he did in the 2018 Super Bowl. Tom Brady missed out on winning in the 42nd different stadium of his career. But do we really think he's not going 
to be back at this stadium on Super Bowl Sunday. We know for sure he'll be back in New England next week for a highly anticipated reunion with the Patriots. And that's why I'm not reading into Sunday's loss for the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers' injuries at corner made the Rams a bad matchup. And I suspect Tampa was peaking ahead at the Pats game. Brady will break the NFL passing yardage record in his old stomping grounds next week in New England. But let's talk about the Rams. Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. Matthew Stafford is doing a great job of getting different receivers involved in this offense. Cooper Cup looks like a true number one receiver. And that defense, led by Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, is as good as advertised. The Rams could become the second team to play in the Super Bowl in their home stadium as they beat the Bucs 34-24. We go to Minnesota, where the Vikings were looking to win their first game this season. Seattle gave up 23 unanswered points to a Minnesota squad that hadn't beaten them in 12 years. Proving yet again, the Legion of Boom days are long gone. The NFC West is way too tough for the Seahawks to blow games like this. And with the, unde with the Niners and the undefeated Rams next up on the schedule, Seattle may already be in trouble. But how about the Vikings? Even without Dalvin Cook, they put a good product on the field. And I still think the Vikings have a distant shot at making some noise come January. As the Vikings win 30-17. We go to Las Vegas where the Raiders look to move to 3-0 for the first time since 2002. But Miami the Miami Dolphins without Tua had different plans. If you had Derek Carr to stand at the forefront of the MVP race, congrats on your insanity paying off. Because I did not see this coming. Nor did I see Miami again thriving with a backup quarterback instead of Tua. But there was Jacoby Brissett leading a comeback in Vegas like Ryan Fitzpatrick did last season. It's starting to feel inevitable that Deshaun Watson will take his talents to South Beach. But how about John Gruden and the Raiders? 3-0. First team in NFL history to beat three teams from the year before that had 10-plus wins to start the season. The Raiders could be for real as they beat the Dolphins 31-28. We go to mile high where the Broncos turn 3-0 for the first time in five years. But it bears pointing out that their early, early season schedule has been marshmallowy soft. With game against the rival Raiders and the AFC North Cincinnati Bengals, we're about to find out how good these Broncos really are. Their first three games, the combined record of their opponents was 0-9. This upcoming stretch will test them. But after 12 straight September losses, we know how bad the Jets are. And they're about to match the NFL record of 13 straight losses in the month when Tennessee comes and takes a bite out of New York in the Big Apple, as the Broncos shut out the Jets 26 to nothing. We go to Buffalo, where the Bills were looking to do some damage against the Washington football team. In the meeting of disappointing teams to, so far this season, Josh Allen torched the football team defense in historic fashion, and the Burgundy and Gold's measuring stick game showed us the football team was nowhere ready to take the next step. No one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills as they win 43-21. We go to Detroit where the Lions look to upset the Ravens. And after a Jared Goff touchdown in the last minute, it looked like they were going to do just that. But Lamar Jackson converted a 4th and 19. And it set up the best kicker in NFL history, Justin Tucker, for a 66-yard field goal that doinked its way in. 
I don't know what Justin Tucker has against Detroit, but eight years after his best NFL game where he went six for six on field goals, he came back to Ford Field and hit an NFL record 66-yarder to beat the Lions and keep Jared Goff winless without Sean McVay as the Ravens squeak by 19-17. We go to Pittsburgh where Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase kept that LSU connection going strong. And Big Ben looks like he is past his prime. I'm not really sure why more of us weren't calling the Steelers fools for running it back with Roethlisberger. It was a QB heavy draft and they've got a ghost at quarterback and no apparent plan to replace him. But shout out to the Bengals. They've won two straight games against Pittsburgh. And maybe this is the changing of the guard in the AFC North. As the Bengals win 24-10. We go to East Rutherford, New Jersey. Where the Giants and the Falcons took on each other in the battle of teams no one cares about. But hey, the Falcons won 17-14. That's all I got for that game. <laughs> we go to New England where the... <clears throat> where the Saints took on the Patriots. And man, oh man, I expected this game to go differently. Call me a fool, but I thought the Patriots at home would be too tough for Jameis to overcome. But we were standing on a corner, Jameis Winston down in Nola. Such a fine sight to see. It's two TDs, my lord, in a flatbed Ford. The Saints win 28-13. to and there was a pick six in New England, and it actually wasn't thrown by Jameis Winston. Mac Jones had his first real welcome to the NFL rookie moment, and New Orleans showed they have a solid winning recipe. Let Jameis be Jameis, and let the rest of the talented team carry the day. And that's what the Saints did on Sunday as they go marching 28-13. We go to Kansas City, where the Chiefs look to continue their hot streak of football as they took on the Los Angeles Tar Chargers. But Justin Herbert and Mike Williams were no match for Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek, to Tyreek Hill. How big a deal is this result? Before the game, Kansas City hadn't had a losing record since 2015. And Pat Mahomes had a 16-2 record against AFC West foes. Both ended after Mahomes was thoroughly outdueled by Justin Herbert. The Chiefs defense is a problem in a bad way. And these Chargers are going to be a problem in 2021 in a good way. As the Chargers win, 30-24. We go to Cleveland, where the Browns gave up one net passing yard. One! Justin Fields took more sacks than he completed passes and lost about as many passing yards as he gained. Either the Browns' defense is the second coming of the 85 Bears, or Chicago needs to fire Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy yesterday and start over. Miles Garrett broke the Cleveland Browns' sack record by notching up four and a half sacks of Chicago's rookie quarterback and Kareem Hunt was running all over that vaunted Chicago defense. I think the Browns are for real and I think the Bears need to figure it out and start over with a new coach and GM as the Browns win 26-6. We go to Tennessee where Carson Wentz was playing on zero working ankles. Huh? What? But about this Carson Wentz era the 0-3 Colts are off to their worst start in a decade. And they found a way to lose this game despite winning the turnover battle and lost in Tennessee for the first time in four years. Wentz doesn't look any better than he did when he flamed out in Philly last year. And this year, 0-5 is starting to look like a real possibility. As the Titans win, 25-16. to 
We go to Saxonville, where Trevor Lawrence was throwing more interceptions. And it's fitting that in the same week, Urban Meyer said that the NFL is playing like Alabama every week. He gets a thrilling kick six and loses, just like the Crimson Tide did on a similar play a few years ago. Meyer never lost three games in any one season at Ohio State, but he's about to lose a whole lot more in Jacksonville as the Cardinals win 31-19. We finished in Houston, where Carolina is 3-0 for the first time since their 15-1 Super Bowl season six years ago. I'll go ahead and concede. I was dead wrong about the 2021 Panthers. As the Panthers win 24-9. Week 3 <clears throat> is in the books. And that Week 3 recap was brought to you by Anchor. The fastest five minutes in football. And there's a lot to talk about in Week 3. And we will get to that. But, man, I think it was a very entertaining week of football. I feel like we learned Week 3 is kind of the starting point. I know this year is different because there's 17 games. But week three is kind of the starting point where you can kind of learn things about certain teams. And I feel like we learned some things from week three because in weeks one and two, you can kind of say, oh, you know, it's just week one or <clears throat> this year. In this case, there's only three preseason games. So you could argue, oh, week one was the fourth preseason game. And week two was the real week one. And I'll give you that. But week three is when teams start to show you who they are, and they their their weaknesses and their strengths start to come out. And I learned a lot this week. Let's do my power rankings following this week, and then we will recap our picks from last week and do our picks for week four. So let's start with the power rankings. My number one in the NFL power rankings right now, let's see, let's see. I'm trying to think. I'm between a couple of teams here. It's a. It's not even October, and the power rankings are shifting majorly. But number one, <clears throat> I got to take the approach, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And so that's why the Los Angeles Rams are my number one team in the NFL through week three. The marriage between Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford is in the honeymoon phase. As Stafford shredded the Bucks defense for four TD passes in an easy 34-24 victory over Tom Brady and the defending Super Bowl champs. The Matt Stafford revitalization project has yet to encounter an issue. Stafford's nine TD passes are tied for the most by a Rams quarterback in the first three games of his season, tied with Kurt Warner in 1999. And something special happened for the Rams in 1999. They had the coaching, the personnel to be elite on both sides of the ball. They're a lethal team. They're a threat to win the Super Bowl this season. They're my number one. My number two is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's, I think it's too early to panic about their defense, but <clears throat> it's something they have to clean up. They've allowed 300-plus passing yards and at least two passing touchdowns to each quarterback they've faced this season. It was their first loss since last November, but through three weeks, the defense has allowed 29.3 points per game, a full seven points higher than what it allowed last season. The Tom Brady-led offense will provide cover on most weeks, but the Bucs won the Super Bowl because they put it together on both sides of the ball. They have lost that balance, and it's on their defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles, to figure out how to restore it. Now, they do get, we do get Brady versus Belichick next Sunday night, 
So I think the Buccaneers will bounce back in that game. I don't see Tom Brady letting himself lose to, to the Patriots, but we will see. Number three, I could go with a number of teams here, but I'm going to go with the Green Bay Packers. And Aaron Rodgers said it best. <clears throat> How can you not be romantic about football? Moments after he led the Packers to a, on a final minute field goal drive to steal a win from the to steal a win for the 49ers. The same game the 49ers appeared ready to steal from the Packers only minutes before. It was that kind of night for in San Francisco in the in the second Sunday night football classic in as many weeks. Rodgers was nails in those final 37 seconds, connecting on two downfield strikes to Devontae Adams to set up Mason Crosby's game winner from 41 y- yards out. Matt LaFleur is a great head coach. I don't know why people don't realize that. Aaron Rodgers has a number of weapons. I feel like that enough is good enough to make the Packers number three in my power rankings. Number four, I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills. Um, They've been cooking on both sides of the ball now. Josh Allen looked very good on Sunday against Washington's defense. That's supposed to be supposedly good. He, he was like a surgeon out there, cutting perfect spirals through gusting wins in a dominant 43-21 victory over the football team. His chemistry with his receivers was very, very present on Sunday. Stephon Diggs made his usual assortment of impact plays. Cole Beasley showed off his knack for finding the soft spot in defense. And Emmanuel Sanders has provided a significant upgrade over John Brown. I'll say it right now. The Bills might have the AFC East locked up by Thanksgiving. That's how good they are. I got the Bills at number four. Number five, I'm going to go with the Browns. And I know you could be calling me a homer. You could be saying, oh, you're you're biased because you're a Browns fan. But the Browns have looked dominant the last two weeks. The 26-6 final score doesn't reflect just how bad, just how bad the Browns beat up the poor Bears. The Browns were in total control from the opening kickoff. I mentioned Miles Garrett, franchise record four and a half sacks, a performance that quiets the talk of a slow start by the game's premier defensive end. Justin Fields was un- under constant duress, and the Bears only got one net passing yards. The Browns got an impact performance from their running game. Kareem Hunt totaled 155 yards, and Odell Beckham came back, and he looks like himself in a five-catch day. The Browns, Baker did not force the ball to Odell Beckham. He made throws. Beckham had five catches for 77 yards. All of his catches went for a first down. He had a run that went for a first down as well. Baker got other guys involved in the offense. Austin Hooper caught a touchdown pass. I mentioned Kareem Hunt had 155 total yards. Nick Chubb had 84 yards in the ground. And the biggest story of the day for the Browns, they might finally have found their kicker, their first real kicker since Phil Dawson left. As Chase McLaughlin went 4-for-4 four four from field goals, and he hit two 50-plus yarders. The Browns are in a very, very good place right now. They sit at 2-1, and one, and they sit at number 5 in my power rankings. <clears throat> number 6, I'm going to go with Kansas City. Um, <clears throat> I know they're 1-2, and two, but turnovers are the Chiefs' downfall. They lost two fumbles and Pat Mahomes through two interceptions on Sunday in their loss to the Chargers at Arrowhead. They will turn the calendar to October in last place in the AFC West with three extremely frisky teams ahead of them in the standings. But man, oh man, I don't know about this Chiefs team. Their defense can't stop the run. 
If you take away Tyreek Hill, Mahomes does not look like the same Pat Mahomes we've seen since he entered the league. So I got the Chiefs at number six, but they could go down depending on how they do. Number seven, I got the Ravens. Um, I would have had them higher than the Chiefs, but they should have lost that game to the Lions. So I'm going to put them like at seven, a little bit below the Chiefs. But Justin Tucker was already a Hall of Fame kicker before Sunday in Detroit. He already he cemented his place in Canton with that 66-yard field goal. His brilliance covers up the sins of the team. Marquise Brown dropped three touchdown passes in the first half. And Baltimore's defense folded in the fourth quarter against a not very good Detroit offense. But the Ravens still had Tucker. They still have Lamar Jackson. So I'm going to put them at seven. Eight, I'm going to go with the 49ers. Um, they just left too much time on the clock. Kyle Juszczyk's touchdown pass. <coughs> Sorry about that. I got something in my throat, you know. I swallowed the water down the wrong pipe. But anyway, Kyle Juszczyk, I can't say his name. They're fullback. Kyle Juszczyk's touchdown cat catch. There we go. Not touchdown pass, touchdown catch. Capped a 75-yard drive. That put the 49ers ahead late in the fourth quarter. But the Niners failed to bleed the maximum amount of time off the clock before giving the ball back to Aaron Rodgers. The final 37 seconds were just enough for the Packers to move into Niners territory and get the game-winning field goal. It had to be especially painful for Kyle Shanahan because the 49ers were looking at acquiring Aaron Rodgers this offseason. But it didn't happen. But hey, I like the 49ers. I think Jimmy G is a good quarterback, but I also think Trey Lance is a dynamic playmaker at quarterback. They have two quarterbacks, and what's the old saying? If you have two quarterbacks, you don't really have one. I don't know if that's the case with the 49ers, but I think their offense with Debo Samuel and George Kittle, I think it's dynamic enough to withstand a quarterback change, and I think the Niners will be Super Bowl contenders this season. They're my number eight in the power rankings. Rounding out the top ten, number nine, I'm going to go Los Angeles Chargers. Um, Brandon Staley is in love with his quarterback, and I can't blame him. For the second straight week, the Chargers head coach made a point to call Justin Herbert the best player on this field. It's not lip service by Staley either. On multiple occasions Sunday, he opted to keep the offense on the field rather than settle for sensible field goal attempts. It was an acknowledgement of Patrick Mahomes' greatness for sure, but also a showing of supreme faith in Justin Herbert. The Chargers converted first four first downs in each instance. The football world is quickly learning what Staley and I already knew. Justin Herbert is a savage. And the Chargers are number nine. Number 10, I'm going to go with the Cardinals. Um, I think Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins might be one of the best quarterback receiver duos in the NFL. I don't trust Cliff Kingsbury as their coach, which is why they're not higher on this list. But Kyler Murray's a gamer. DeAndre Hopkins is one of the top five receivers in the league, so I'm going to put the Cardinals at 10. <clears throat> Rounding out the top 15, I'll go – we're just going to list them. We're not going to talk about them. I'll go the Raiders at 11, the Broncos at 12, the Panthers at 13, the Titans at 14, the Cowboys at 15. So that's my top 15 power rankings. All right, let's get to our week four NFL predictions. Last week, we had an okay week with game picks. Let me get the record up for you guys right now. Hmm. Let's see. Okay. 
So far this season, we are 30-18. and 18. That's pretty good. We picked 88% of the games correctly this season. We went 12-4 and four this week, picking 16 games. That's a pretty darn good record. That's our best week yet. And we're going to try to try to improve upon it this week as we go to week four. <clears throat> Thursday night football, Bengals-Jaguars. The Jaguars are atrocious people. I'm a big Urban Meyer fan. I actually got to meet Urban Meyer. I'm a big Ohio State fan, so that makes sense. But <clears throat> I don't think the man can coach in the NFL. Nick Saban couldn't do it. I don't think Urban Meyer can do it. I think Joe Burrow and the Bengals at home. Cincinnati's going to be feeling pretty fired up. They just beat the Steelers. They're going to be fired up. It's going to be an electric crowd in Cincinnati on Thursday night. And I think Joe Burrow will win the duel of the number one picks. And I think the Bengals will win against the Jaguars. The Washington football team goes to Atlanta on Sunday. It's a must-win game for the football team. Their schedule coming up after this week is brutal. I think Ron Rivera will realize that. And I think much like the Browns defense this week against the Bears, the Washington football team defense will have a coming out party against the Falcons. And I think the Washington football team will win against Atlanta on Sunday. Texans at the Bills. This is my lock of the week. The Bills will beat the Texans. And if they don't, I don't know what I'll do. I'll 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 post here. Let's let's do actually do a challenge. I will pour uh I will pour a glass of ice water, ice cold water over my head and post it on our Instagram at Jot Sports Pod at JOT Sports Pod if the Bills do not beat the Texans. That's how confident I am in that pick. <clears throat> All right, this pick I'm not as confident in. <clears throat> this is kind of the who cares game of the week. The Bears at home versus the Lions. I think I'm going to pick the Lions. Uh, th- and that will be an upset. So that's our upset pick of the week. I'm going to pick the Lions over the Bears. Matt Nagy. <clears throat> Matt Nagy. Is the worst coach in the National Football League. They dropped back 20 times. On Sunday with Justin Fields. 13 times they only had five-man protection. He got sacked nine times. You were doing nothing to protect your rookie quarterback. Your offense did not do anything. You got one first down. You had one red zone trip because it was a bad pass interference call by the refs. And it was all because of the game plan. Justin Fields couldn't do anything when he was under constant pressure. I think if Justin Fields wants to, wants to have a su- successful NFL career, the thing he has to root for to happen is for Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace to be fired immediately. Immediately. And Lions, man, <clears throat> they're a gritty team. I think they might be the best 0-3 team in the league. They're just a gritty, scrappy team led by their head coach, Dan Campbell, that won't fight until the game is over. And I like that kind of football team. And that's why I think the Lions will win this week. <clears throat> Panthers at the Cowboys. The Panthers' undefeated record ends on Sunday. The Cowboys will win that game. If Christian McCaffrey was playing, I might pick the Panthers. But I like Dak Prescott better than Sam Darnold. I like the Cowboys' team as a whole better than the Panthers. 
And I think the loss of Christian McCaffrey is too big a hole, too big of a hurdle for the Panthers to overcome to win in Dallas on Sunday. Colts at Dolphins. Um, <clears throat> I'll go with the Colts to break their own three record. I think if Tua plays, maybe the Dolphins win, but without Tua, I don't see it happening. Browns Vikings. The Browns are one and a half point favorites in Minnesota. I think this would be the Brown a tough game for the Browns. I think the Vikings very well could win this game, but Dalvin Cook didn't play last week. I don't know if he's going to play this week, but I am going to pick the Browns once again. <clears throat> I think the defense will put pressure on Kirk Cousins. I think Odell will make some big plays down the stretch. I think Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt will both have good games in the ground. And if Baker is an accurate thrower, which he has been this season, I think the Browns will win this game. And another reason, it's a Kevin Stefanski revenge game. Kevin Stefanski knows everything there is to know about that Vikings team. Personnel, their offense. He literally wrote their offense. So I think that's an advantage for the Browns. So I'm going to pick the Browns on Sunday against the Vikings. Giants at the Saints. Give me the Saints. The Giants are bad. Uh, I think the Saints, when Jameis doesn't make mistakes, are one of the best teams in football. And I think they have enough talent around Jameis to be able to withstand some of the mistakes he makes. Titans at the Jets. This is another lock of the week. I'll go with the Titans. Chiefs at the Eagles. Give me the Chiefs. I don't think they lose to Philadelphia. Good game between two undefeated teams, the Rams and the Cardinals. I got the Rams at home. 49ers, Seahawks in San Fran. Give me the Niners. Ravens at the undefeated Broncos. I think the Ravens will end the Broncos' undefeated run. Steelers at Packers. I got the Packers. Buccaneers at Patriots. Give me the Buccaneers. And Raiders, Chargers. I think the Raiders' 3-0 streak ends here as the Chargers beat them on Monday Night Football. And that is our week four NFL picks. And that we're going to take a quick break when we come back. MLB playoff scenarios in the last week of the regular season, college football week four recap and a week five preview. You won't want to miss it. Don't turn that dial. We will be right back. Welcome back to season three, episode 18 of the Jack of All Trades sports podcast. Let's talk about the weekend that was in college football. And there were some pretty good games this week. Some teams that stood out to me, number nine, Notre Dame. Went into Soldier Field in Chicago and absolutely rolled over number 13, Wisconsin. The Fighting Irish, man. They, they looked like a good team on Saturday. Now, I don't know if that was just because they played Wisconsin, who I don't think is going to be too, too good this season. But the, Notre Dame could be a playoff contender, especially with the next storyline we we're going to hit out of the way. And that would be number 23. They were unranked last week. But North Carolina State beats number nine Clemson, twenty-seven to twenty-one in overtime. I like I said, I mentioned it in the opening of the show. The end of a college football dynasty. This is the end of the Clemson dynasty. Their second loss eliminates them from co- from college football playoff contention. DJ Uyangalele is not a good quarterback. He's not good. He's not good. And the reason Dabo Sweeney has been a winner in college football for so long is because he's had two legendary quarterbacks back-to-back. Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, even before that, Taj Boyd was a legendary Clemson quarterback. DJ Uyangalele is not that guy. He's not that guy. They also had a lot of talent graduate. Travis Etienne is gone. 
They had a lot of guys in that defense get out of here. And North Carolina State, they look good. The Wolfpack, their quarterback, Devin Leary, 238 yards, four TDs. Clemson loses their second game of the year, and they the end of a dynasty. They were eliminated from college football playoff contention. They fall the number 25 this week in the AP rankings, and if I were doing the rankings, I wouldn't have ranked them. I would not have ranked them. But it's, it's just surprising to see because it's always been Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, and then everybody else, but... I don't know. Clemson, man, two losses. First ACC loss in God knows when. Probably since they lost to Pitt back when, uh, what was that kid's name? Who's Kenny Pickett? It might have been Kenny Pickett. Back when uh, Pitt won on that last second field goal. And I, I just, it's not characteristic to see this from Clemson, but I think Dabo Sweeney is not, He's not an Urban Meyer. He's not a Nick Saban. He's a great coach. He's just not one of those guys, and I think we're starting to see it when he actually has to start doing some coaching and not relying on his talent. So the end of a dynasty is Clemson loses their second second game this season. Number one, Alabama rolled. I don't even know who they played. Southern Mississippi, they went 63-14. to Ohio State rolled with their backup quarterback, Kyle McCord. They beat the Akron Zips 59-7. Oklahoma survives against West Virginia 16-13. That was a good game. I thought Oklahoma was going down, but hey, they did not. Number eight, Arkansas is proving there for real. Uh, the experts picked them to finish last in the SEC, and they look like they could maybe make a run at the SEC title maybe. They're 20, they win 20-10 to 10 over number 15, Texas A&M. And Michigan wins a battle of 3-0 teams as they go into Rutgers. As Rutgers comes into the big house and falls 20-13. But yeah, college football will be exciting. Week 5, we got some good matchups. Um, let me just name a few. Maryland and Iowa tomorrow Friday night at Maryland, a battle of undefeated teams. That's a good matchup. I think the game of the week is number 7, Cincinnati. Going to South Bend to take on number nine, Notre Dame. A battle of undefeateds there. Another potential game of the week, number eight, Arkansas at number two, Georgia. Just a lot of a lot of great games this week as conference play starting. Number 12, Mississippi at number one, Alabama. Bowling Green at Kent State. Bowling. Oh, I didn't even mention this. Shout out to the Bowling Green Falcons. Even though I'm rooting against you this week against Kent State. Bowling Green went into Minnesota and beat the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Matt School beats a Big Ten school for the 15th straight year. And you wouldn't think that. But hey, Bowling Green did that. But I think they're going to lose to Kent State this week. Uh, and then another good game this week is twenty one number 21, Baylor versus number 19, Oklahoma State. I'm also in a college pick em. Leagues, we can start doing some college picks like we do our NFL picks. And I, you, you guys thought I was doing well in, in college. Uh, I mean, in the NFL with 88%. In college, I'm 92% accurate at picking these games. So let's pick some of these games. Number eight, Arkansas. Number two, Georgia. I got to go with Georgia because they're at home. Number 14, Michigan at Wisconsin. It's a trap game for Michigan, but I'll pick Michigan. Louisville at Wake Forest. Wake Forest, I'll go with. 
Cincinnati at Notre Dame. I got to go with Notre Dame because they're at home. Number one, Alabama. And number 12, Ole Miss. Give me the Crimson Tide. Number 11, Ohio State at Rutgers. I'll take the Buckeyes. Number three, Oregon versus Stanford. I'll take the Ducks. Number six, Oklahoma at Kansas State. My upset of the week. Give me Kansas State to beat Oklahoma. Wow. I'm feeling bold today. We'll go with that. Number 21, Baylor at number 19, Oklahoma State. Give me the Cowboys. And number 22, Auburn at LSU. I'll take LSU over Auburn because it is in LSU. And those are our week four college football picks. And I like what I've seen so far this season from college football. I know fans um, who are not fans of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma are sick and tired of seeing those four teams in the college football playoff. And even though I do root for Ohio State when they're not playing Kent State, so which is pretty much every year, I, too, would like to see some new colors, some new teams in the college football playoff. And with Clemson losing, we are guaranteed to see at least one new team. And who knows, Ohio State already has an early season loss on their schedule. Maybe they will lose and we'll get another new team in the college football playoff. But I think it's good for teams, <clears throat> teams like Oregon, teams like Georgia, teams like Cincinnati, teams like Notre Dame, teams like Penn State, those teams that are always good year in and year out, <clears throat> but lose like, <clears throat> sorry, dude, a lot of talking and my voice is, <laughs> I need some water, Give a water break, water break. We'll, we'll, we'll finish my, my, my point in a moment. But like I mentioned, those teams that seem to always be there, but they have one loss to one of their the big schools I was mentioning, the big four, OSU, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma. I think it's nice for them to finally get to play some meaningful football that could lead to a playoff appearance this season. And I think we're going to get two new teams in the college football playoff. For some reason, I think Oklahoma's going to lose. And... Oklahoma losing in the Big 12 is different than Ohio State losing to Oregon in the non-conference because the Big 12 is smooth like butter, soft like butter, and Oregon is the number three team in the country. So I think that's kind of why why I see there being two new teams in addition to Alabama and Ohio State in the playoff this season. I think it's good for college football. I also think it will be a – push forward for the committee to expand because they would lose out on a lot of money if a team like Cincinnati was in and a team like Oklahoma with one loss wasn't. That's college football, the NCAA. I know college football is a sport, but I also know that it is a business and they want to maximize the amount of money they can. So losing out on Clemson this year is going to be a big money loss for them. So that's why I think they're going to expand the playoff to 12 so they can have maybe even a two-loss big name like a Texas, like a Michigan, like a Clemson get into the playoff just so you can drive ratings, drive attendance, drive the brand of the university. And I think that will that's what's going to happen, and that's why the playoff will eventually get expanded. But so far, been an entertaining college football season. Excited to watch more college football this weekend. Let's get to the sport that everyone seems to be forgetting about that is actually happening now that football is back, and that is the MLB. And I'm going to read you this thread, courtesy of Solon, Ohio's native son, ESPN MLB writer Jeff Passan, and it explains the scenarios 
for the AL wild card this week and the last week of the regular season. Here we go. If the Blue Jays take two or three from the Yankees and sweep the Orioles, the Yankees take two or three from the Rays, and the Red Sox win four of six games against Baltimore and Washington, there will be a three-way tie for two AL wildcard spots. Here's how it would work. In a case of a three-way tie for two spots, the tiebreakers go like this. Club A hosts Club B in the first game, and the winner gets the first AL wildcard spot. The loser then travels to Club C for the second game, and the winner gets the second AL wildcard spot. Because they won the season series against both teams, the Red Sox get first tiebreaker pick. Toronto beat New York, so they would choose second. Presumably, Boston would be Club A, which gets a home game and two cracks at winning. What would Toronto do with the second pick? On one hand, you'd, have, you'd rather have two bites at the apple. So choosing Club B makes the most sense. At the same time, if you've ever been to the Rogers Center, you know about the incredible atmosphere. And elimination games at Fenway Park first and Yankee Stadium next sounds awful. But oh, by the way, in this entire scenario, there is one more possibility. The Mariners sweep the A's and the Angels and finish 92-70, and 70, giving us a four-way tie and two head-to-head matchups. Not quite as chaotic, but still pretty great. The five-way tie is another possibility. The five-way tie, Baltimore needs to beat Toronto twice. Oakland has to sweep Houston. Tampa has to sweep the Yankees. And plenty of other ridiculousness. The scenario probably will be dead by Friday at the latest. But that's what could happen in the AL wildcard race. And... While everybody is going to be focused on the NFL and college football returning, and rightfully so, I get it. I, I'm, I'm biased of this too and uh, guilty of this too because my team, the Cleveland baseball team, the Cleveland Guardians, which I will now call, start calling them the Guardians. I'll explain to you why in a minute. Now that they're eliminated from the playoffs, I've been paying more attention to football because my teams in college football and in the NFL still have a realistic shot at making the playoffs. But while that's been going on, there's been some very, very, very entertaining races happening and entertaining pennant races happening across MLB. Let's talk about the teams that have clinched first, the teams that we will see come October. The Tampa Bay Rays clinched the American League East, and they will shortly clinch home field advantage throughout the playoffs in the American League. The White Sox clinched the AL Central for the first time since 2008, and they will face the Astros in the first round of the playoffs as the Astros will clinch within the next four games the American League West Championship. So those are the AL division winners. In the NL, the Brewers locked up the America, the National League Central. They are 94-62. and 62. They're, they're a, I almost said a Super Bowl contender. You see football still on the mind. They're a World Series contender. In the National League West, the Giants... Locked up, and the Dodgers both locked up a playoff spot. The Giants sit two two games up on the Dodgers, so I expect the Giants to win the National League West and the Dodgers to be the first wild card team in the National League. But there is some intrigue elsewhere. The National League East. The Atlanta Braves are only one two and a half games up on the Phillies. 
in the last week of the regular season. So that is very interesting, something to keep an eye on there. And we also got to talk about the National League wildcard race and talk about one of the the story of baseball over the last couple weeks. And that is the St. Louis Cardinals, who have a five-and-a-half game lead, and they will clinch the wild card tonight if they win. And I fully expect them to win because they have won 16 games in a row, 16 straight games when they needed it most. The Cardinals, I've been saying it all year. I've been waiting for this Cardinals team to do something. They traded for Nolan Arenado. I was saying, I thought this team would win the Central. I thought this team would be better. And lo and behold, all it took was a 16-game winning streak for them to find their mojo. They will be the second wildcard team in the National League, setting up a matchup between the Dodgers and the Cardinals. So the NL is pretty much set except for the National League East with the Braves or the Phillies. But the AL, man, the Yankees and the Red Sox are both the AL wildcard teams right now. The Toronto Blue Jays are one game back of Boston. The Seattle Mariners are one and a half games back of Boston. The A's are three and a half back. Anything can happen in the AL wildcard race, and you guys should be paying attention to it because, man, oh, man, it is going to be entertaining. If you want who I think will make the AL wildcard, I'll stick with the Yankees and the Red Sox. Who I want to make the AL wildcard, like I was saying with the college football playoff, I want some new blood. I would love to see the Blue Jays and the Mariners battle it out for the wildcard game. I would love, love to see that. The Mariners haven't been to the playoffs since 2001. The Blue Jays haven't been there since 2017. It's two great fan bases. Would finally be getting that playoff atmosphere back. It would be probably in the Rogers Center. The fans would be going bonkers. I want to see that. But my my heart says that's going to be the wild card game. But my head says it's going to be the Yankees and the Red Sox. Which, hey, I wouldn't mind that either. But at some point, I want to see some new faces in the playoffs. And I think that's an, this year is an opportunity for that, depending on how these series go this week. But let's talk about the, the Cleveland Guardians. Um, yesterday, they beat the Royals 8-3. to they're 77 and 79. They still have an outside chance at extending their consecutive seasons with a winning record if they can beat Kansas City and Texas, which I think they should. They're 77 and 79. They've had a good year considering all the injuries they've dealt with. Shane Bieber's back on the mound. Cal Quantrill and Tristan McKenzie have solidified themselves as number four and number five starters. And the Cleveland Guardians will be playoff contenders next year. Jose Ramirez should be getting more MVP buzz, by the way. So let me read you Jose Ramirez's stat line. And I think the Cleveland Guardians need to extend this man ASAP because he is one of the best players in baseball. One of the absolute best players in baseball. He, this year, 266 batting average, 36 home runs, and 99 RBIs with 26 stolen bases, 357 on-base percentage, 544 slugging percentage. I think he's the best third baseman in the game of baseball. And I think that the Guardians need to do everything they can to make sure this man never wears a uniform that doesn't say Cleveland on the front of it. But it was also a little bit of a sad day for us Cleveland sports fans and because yesterday was the last game at Progressive Field that the Cleveland Indians will play. Last game at 
progressive field at home as the Cleveland Indians, and it's a bittersweet day. I'm looking forward to becoming the Guardians. I was excited about the name change. I like the name change, but I also grew up with the Indians. I grew up saying go tribe at the games, and it's tribe time and all that stuff, and it's, it's a little sad to see the team name go. I'll admit it's a little sad to see the team name go. I think it, it's good that it is going. I think we're in the time period we're in now, I think it's good that it is going. And I'm excited to welcome in the Cleveland Guardians. But it is a little sad to see the Indians no longer be the Indians. And they got a week left as the Indians, so I'll be rooting for the Indians for this next week. But when the season ends, after the World Series, they will be the Guardians. And... Like I said, when they change, decide to change the name, the only thing that matters to me is, is that it sets Cleveland on the front of the jerseys. And as long as the city name is Cleveland and the team is playing in Cleveland, I don't care what you call them. Because baseball in Cleveland is the best, about one of the best things in the world. All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. We'll be back next week with an episode recapping week four in the NFL and much, much more. You won't want to miss it. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Jote Sports Pod. That's at J-O-T Sports Pod for cool content, interactive content with the listeners, episode previews, audiograms, and much, much more. Make sure you guys stay safe. Do something nice for one another. Have a fun, fun week. Do something fun this week. Enjoy the nice weather. Enjoy the fall weather. And I will catch you guys on the flip side. I've been Jack Bernie, signing off.